This is Beer Prime, a fortnightly podcast about craft beer. Hello and welcome to episode 21 of Beer Prime with Brew by Numbers. Shortly I'll be welcoming the brewery's events and marketing manager Mike Burt to the podcast and we'll chat about the brewery and where it's headed, all while indulging in several of their awesome beers. But first, let's get some beer news. Beer news. The news for this episode is all about beer events. Starting with Siren Craft Brew's 8th anniversary festival this Friday. Three virtual stages of awesome events, tastings, talks and entertainment have been lined up and the 10 packs of beer have been hitting doorsteps this week, including Made in 2020, The Grateful Eight, which is their 8th anniversary dipper, an Imperial Porter and much more. There was also the chance to order a cook-along pack of burgers from the original Patty Men. I'll definitely be attending this on Friday, drinking and cooking along. So that's Friday the 2nd of April. If you're listening to the podcast after this date, then unfortunately you've missed it. As I understand, the online content will be available to watch after the event, but I'm not 100% sure whether that's only for those that are paid for the festival box. Uh, More birthdays being celebrated soon as well. Fierce Beer are celebrating their fifth birthday in May and have a birthday pack of six beers three of which are brewed in collaboration with the likes of Brew York, Duggars and the New Zealand Beer Collective. They're available to pre-order for £45 on their website, fiercebeer.com. Beers are limited, so get on it if you're interested. And Brew York also celebrate their fifth birthday in April and they've teased five special beers, which they're calling their Freaky Franchise series, to pre-order soon but nothing seems available just yet. Now, given that their birthday month starts in just a couple of days, keep your eye on their socials as it's bound to be coming very soon and also bound to be very, very popular. Other online beer events coming soon. Uh, On the 8th of April, Duration up in Norfolk do their monthly online tour and taster bundle. 30 pounds gets you a 30 minute tour of the brew house, cellar and canning line a six-pack of beers including Turtles All The Way Down, Sweeping Coast and Bet The Farm, an hour tutored tasting in the barrel store and an informal opportunity for a Q&A with founders Miranda and Bates. Orders need to be in by midday on the 1st of April so you haven't got long to get that order in and again if you're listening to this after that date then currently this is a monthly event so keep your eye out for future tastings which I'm sure will be advertised on their socials. Their website is shop.durationbeer.com. On the 14th of April, Wildcard Brewery and the Royal Society of Chemistry are running a virtual beer tasting, which will, of course, feature a lot about the chemistry behind brewing. The event is free to join, and you can buy the special three-pack of beers for £14, or £20 with a branded glass, from Wildcard's website, which is shop.wildcardbrewery.co.uk and look for the Royal Society of Chemistry Virtual Tasting Box. 
The beers in the pack are Lucid Dream, a 5.6% New England IPA, Proving Ground Sour, a 5.7% Mango, Apricot and Passion Fruit Sour, and False Gods Tropical Stout at 7.5%. You can also find the link to the Eventbrite page for the event there. You do need to register for that event. As I said, even though it's free, you need to register your attendance in advance on Eventbrite. Of course, in-person beer won't be long now. Pub Gardens reopening on the 12th of April, which is amazing. Have you booked your table yet? I've definitely booked one for myself. My son turns 18 on the 3rd of April, and it's such a shame. I had planned to take him to the pub on his birthday for his very first pint, but unfortunately, that's not to be. But I do have a table booked uh, as soon as the pubs are open and then another one for the first Saturday and we'll be taking him out and seeing just what he thinks of beer. I've had a few that I've sort of given him sips of but he's not been terribly interested in them but uh, now that he's turning 18 I think he wants to give a few beers a sample. I may even record him having his first beer uh, for a future episode. We'll see how that goes. Then there are a whole bunch of in-person beer festivals. Too numerous to, to actually mention and go through here, but I'm sure you'll see lots about those on the various social feeds out there. Right, let's get on with the main guest for this episode, and that is Mike Burt from Brew by Numbers. They're a brewery that I've known for a long time, having visited their tap rooms on the Bermondsey Beer Mile a few times. It's always busy, and they always have a great selection of beers to try. Keep listening to the end of this episode as Brew by Numbers have kindly offered a discount code for all listeners. So I'm joined by Mike Burt from Brew by Numbers. Hello, Mike. Thanks for coming onto the podcast. Well, you're absolutely welcome. Thank you for uh, inviting me and for having me. Not a problem. Let's have a little chat about your background and what you do at Brew by Numbers. But just before we do that, I think it's time to crack open a beer. What do you say? I absolutely agree. It's Friday night. Let's, uh, let's crack open one. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so I am going to go for 11 Session IPA Mosaic. Yep, I'll so flag it. Crack that one open. Give that a go. So while I'm pouring that, Mike, um, what do you do at Brew by Numbers? I am in charge of their marketing and events. So... Yeah, obviously I started at the, well, I started at the end of um, March. So just when the first lockdown happened. So there haven't been very many events. So I guess you can, uh, <laughs> you can say that my job for the last year has been um, marketing entirely. Yeah, 12 months later and still there and loving it. So really positive. Fantastic. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about the history of the brewery. How did it come about? So um, Tom and Dave, two founders, uh, were away traveling the world in Southeast Asia, and they met um, rock climbing and motorbiking around Laos in, 2000, yeah, in 2012. Obviously hit it off, Tom came home, Dave went to um, Australia, I believe, and New Zealand, and they met up again in London. Obviously both found beer in different forms. So Tom had found um, you know, emerging craft beer seen in Bermondsey, the Colonel and David tried some beer from the Antipodean locations that he really, really enjoyed, really hot forward, juicy beers that they'd never really tried before. And they both decided that that was something that they really wanted to do uh, professionally. So 
I guess that was the point that they decided that they might start to brewery. Did some, um, I guess, chat, you know, hang out with the Colonel, chatted a bit with um, Evan, helped out, learned a bit about recipe creation. And then in the basement of a, a property on London or near London Bridge, they um, experimented with batches. Um, and the name Brewer Numbers comes by the splitting of the batch. So obviously you have the number system on the can, but at, at the start they brew a base beer. And then, for example, the first is 01 Saison. So one batch, split it, and then Citra Saison was 0101. And then there was another hop for 0102. And they decided that the first batch was better. So they, that's what they were doing. They were brewing with numbers by numbers. And yeah, they took it to the Craft Beer Co. And the Craft Beer Co. loved it. Sold it, I think, the first keg. And it's all history from there. Moved into Bermondsey in 2013 and we're still there now. Today. Fantastic. Okay, yeah. and th- and that launch party uh, was was it December the first, twenty twelve, at the Craft Beer Co. Could, 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 could easily have been. I definitely was not <laughs> in attendance, but I'd love to have been. It was a really different landscape back then, and uh, yeah, mm. I think it'd be an intriguing thing to look at the faces at that party and, and where they are now. Really, absolutely uh, incredible. Mm, indeed, we're drinking this session IPA then, and it's four point two percent. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about what to expect from this beer. So single hop mosaic, um, obviously 4.2%, but oat um, driven malt base. So soft, juicy, um, citrus, orange and grapefruit profile. But it's um, got a really nice dry finish. Obviously, um, New England IPA is a very on-trend beer style. This is not that. It's a beer to have and enjoy a pint of in the sun. You're not going to find it too rich. It should still be refreshing, but it's got that um, zippy carbonation and, and good hot profile to back everything up. It's, it's basically, it's the beer we sell the most of. It's the beer we'd all want to drink, um, I guess, the most of over the course of you know, summer's day. I think with a lot of session IPAs, they don't tend to have as much of a body as the stronger IPAs, which of course I know is is a given. You know, it's... Yep. It's like people complaining when they like imperial stouts that a that a, you know a four and a half percent stout doesn't have the <laughs> the body. You know, it's never going to. That's not how they're designed. But no. this one, I think, um, at four point two, it certainly does. It is a little bit more robust in body than a lot of session IPAs that I've tasted. Absolutely. I mean, that's definitely by design. I'm not saying that you know session IPAs that we enjoy from other breweries are are thin because that's that's not the case at all just we wanted to put a bit of oomph behind this bit of foundation for those mosaics to play on top of there's a lot of hops in that beer yeah you, you need something to to bring it all together and the oats do that it gives it a slightly fuller mouthfeel not overly so it's definitely not creamy but um yeah i think it, by design we wanted it to be a bit more robust mm-hmm. and still hold that like sessionability that it definitely does uh, we, we believe anyway yeah well yeah, mission accomplished. Yeah, <laughs> good. <laughs> I'm glad to hear it. <laughs> so you mentioned that you moved into Bermondsey in 2003, but you have two sites in Bermondsey as well, don't you now? So we brew out of 79 Enid Street. It's on the famous sort of the tail end, or I guess the start, if, depending on where you um, begin the, the Bermondsey beer mill. Uh, but we also um, took over 75 Enid Street. So. Uh, four doors down or four arches down is our tap room and office space. So we brew out 79 and uh, 75 is uh, is a tap room. And that's where we, I guess, conduct day-to-day business out of as well. 
Okay. Uh, in one of those, you've got a lot of barrels, haven't you, at the back? Is that a barrel aging program? So that's in Peckham, south of our Bermondsey sites. We have what was going to be our yeah, barrel aging facility and our and the taproom as well. It has been a taproom up until now. Is now obviously operating as a sort of takeaway beer shop. But there was a period where we were doing a lot of barrel aging, and I guess this you know the past year hasn't really been. We've been concentrating on other things. We're going to start doing it again. We've definitely got some barrels that are full of beer currently sitting out there. And we did an amazing collaboration with Bimba at the end of last year, a London whiskey distillery, which is amazing. But that site is going to change to be a, a beer shop full time, not a, a tap room. And, we, you know, when we make our move at the, at the summer of this year, sorry, um, everything will be going to the new site and, right. and, and Peckham will be, um, will be changing. Okay, excellent. Well, we'll get on to the new site a little bit later. But let's talk about the two tap rooms in Bermondsey. And they're quite different styles inside the tap rooms as well, aren't they? Oh, massively. If you're coming from the Bianca Road end, um, yeah. and sort of obviously from where Colonel is as well, yeah. you're coming this way. Uh, it's your second one is a lot more modern, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. You've got the brewing space, which is um, obviously designed to brew beer we used to um sort of sell bottles out of that and then have a token bar there for anyone and um, to just dive in and have a session ipa and look at the equipment but it's not entirely a bespoke drinking space the 75 is that's like a beautifully constructed wooden bar very refined offering um and yeah. definitely a much nicer place to drink so yeah there, there is a bit of disparity between the two places and um, but we yeah we love both and both are going to when bars and pubs open up in april they're both gonna we're gonna have to use them they've got a, outside space is limited it's on a road like you you step out and you're in the road so you've got a pavement to sit on so uh we're very lucky that we've got two not uh obviously planning for that it's just how it happened but sure. we've, got, we've got a lot of good things coming mm. uh, when i was speaking with jack from anspatch and hob day he was saying that there was hopes. Uh, I mean, obviously, this was a while ago. This was in December. Mm. But he was uh, saying that there were hopes to allow closure of the streets on the weekends. Is that still? So that conversation is back and forth. I don't honestly think that that's going to happen. I would I say I'd love from a from a business proof numbers perspective, I'd love for that to happen. You know, pedestrianising those streets and um, would would allow us to have the space to operate at full capacity. Mm. pretty pretty much but it's such a busy street Eden Street and where they are on Druid Street there's a you know there's cars going by there every 30 seconds all day all night so if, uh, if Suffolk are listening do it but <laughs> <laughs> make, make sure it's safe and uh, you know that these these cars can get around yeah I guess you have to also think of your local residents around the area um, with access so it's a tricky thing but uh, you know if something could be worked out I hope so. Yeah, would, They've been very be receptive, Southwark uh, Council. They've been, um, you know, ideas of opening up one of the arches that isn't being used. Oh, well, that's not them, but, you know, granting temporary licences, granting pavement licences without long-winded application processes. It's great. It's um, it's necessary, but uh, they, ha they have been good about it. So, okay. I don't would you. Yeah. Yeah, well, let's hope that something good can come out of that. Or, you know, at least, as you say, when things do open up, uh, at least that you've got enough space out there on the uh, on the pavement. Because there was, there was a, a little bit of space out there, wasn't there? You've got... Yeah, we, if you look at photos, <laughs> it changes over the, you know, over the years. You look at old photos, they're the sort of pallet 
wall around the curb space, which is, you know, it's enough for 20, 25 people in regular times, obviously with a bit of spacing that drops to 15, but we've, we've got an extension to it. It's going to be enough. Like we're, we're very glad to have it and we're really looking forward to getting people out there. You know, the weather's going to improve and, and the situation is going to improve, but we really miss that part of our business. Mm. It's it's very encouraging and it's lovely to see people enjoying our beer through the web shop, but it's a very different thing to see people enjoying it in front of us, being able to give feedback to the product immediately. We love that and um, we, we really, really want to get back to that as soon as possible. Absolutely, absolutely. Right, okay, so I've moved on to the 05 India Parallel Centennial. Oh, okay. We love that one. It's, it's dividing opinion, but... Um, I think it's super interesting. Centennial is a hop that people often use as second fiddle. It, it comes behind yeah. a, a big hop or a, I guess a more popular hop. I, I think the thought process is that back in the day, Centennial was quite a good bittering hop. It didn't mm. really stand up to a single hop or a dry hop. That's not the case. It's a, it's a, it's a beautiful hop. It's just different. No, absolutely. In a, and I would actually list Centennial as one of my favorites. Um, yeah. If we're if we're looking at the, I guess top five centennial for me would definitely be in there. I think you know if you look at the kernel and obviously our history, we've got a, a close tie with them in mm. location and also, you know Tom used to grab tips from them, grab hops from them back in yeah. the day. So when you look at how they use hops, uh, and it, it, it's never from a you know what's cool, what's popular. It's always what's good, what's fresh, and what's gonna you know work in a beer. So when you read their hot combinations, it doesn't always immediately jump out at you. It's like, you know, they're using Citra, they're using Mosaic, they're using Sabro because it's new. No, not necessarily. Like they use a lot of British hops, they use a lot of second level, um, quote unquote, they're not um, American hops, but always really punchy and full of flavor. And there's no reason not to. We really love Centennial. And so the idea for this beer was to try something re- that, that tasted really different and it does. And I think that might be why it's so divisive, you know, yeah. eucalyptus, herbal quality and the fruitiness. It's got a real fresh mintiness as well. No, absolutely right. I mean, I would say it's it's definitely more kind of fragrant, um, sort of perfumed yeah. aroma than most hops. Um, and it's got a soft roundness to it mm. um, that I think a lot of hops don't have. They're more punchy, powerful yeah. in your face. And definitely. this one I think is so much more subtle but still doesn't you know hold back on the flavor either it, there's no, still a lot of flavor it's to it. different i think it's just it's that difference that um sort of caught people off guard we we've, we've been enjoying it you know we have um a beer to take home you know nights like you know for the weekend for the for friday and that, that seems to be the most popular currently that and the lager mm. people are uh really really from you know from brewery numbers are really enjoying that centennial and i, I understand why it's got a real it's a joy to drink. It's got enough complexity that's making you think, but it's also really refreshing. Mm. It's soft. No, absolutely. Well, it's nice because, of course, when you see Centennial, as you said yourself, that it is used quite often for um, sort of secondary tertiary um, hop. Yeah. And so you see it in a lot of beers and you kind of do wonder, well, how much of this that I'm getting is the Centennial? But absolutely. when it's a single hopped beer and there's no hiding it's literally you're getting that is what you're getting from that hop it's it's a delight to to have that experience and also you know for, from perspectives that maybe haven't as you say tried centennial in its um in its single hop form this is how you learn about hops 
Like if you if you try a melange of um, you know different hops, yeah, you'll 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 find the one that's that your palate that, you know picks up the most, but you might not know what that is. Um, yeah. it, I love trying single hops beers. It's just like, oh, okay, remind myself what does that taste like? What does mosaic taste like? What does centennial taste like? Okay, it tastes like that. Yeah. Um, or oh, it, it tastes like that if you dry hop with it, which um, which is always good to yeah, to reacclimatize yourself with with flavors. I love it. It's from my interest side of things. Yeah. No. What, no. What's your favorite hop? Oh, that's a tough one. I love mosaic. I think it, it can do a, a lot of very different things. I really, I really enjoy it for it. You, know, you can put it in a session parallel and it, you put it in a dipper and they do two very different roles. I think it's, um, yeah, I think it's brilliant. That's a hard question. I'm really enjoying Sabro because it's, uh, it's really divisive as well. People yeah. are going, hate it. I love it. And <laughs> I love it. And I think it's so unique. As soon as you put it in something, you know, okay, fine. That's Sabro. Like, there's no two ways about it. There's, it's not, I'm not questioning what that is. Um, it's like Sriracha Ace. It's the 2020 Sriracha Ace. People hate it or love it, but you will pick it up immediately. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. The Marmite of hops. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and I love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I'm with you on that. I do, I do enjoy Sabro as well. Let's talk about the number system, obviously, because then we've we started with 11, the yep. session IPA, and now we're on an 05 India Parallel. Yeah. I know the number system was uh, four digits. Mm-hmm. So the, the first two for the style and the second two for the recipe. Um, and of course, on your older beers, the third and fourth num- digits, you know, the, the recipe style were yep. very much front and center as well. I'm yep. not seeing them too much on these cans and you you won't it was a um, a decision to make the numbering system simpler so that, that's the bottom line okay there's a lot of um they still see it on social media people like bring back the second numbers it's it's a there's a real movement behind it for the for the old guard group and the drinker that um really appreciated that level of detail and you know you obviously got to respect that that's there was a system there and it worked but it was very complicated for someone that wasn't absolutely read up on your history. Yeah. So if someone came into a bottle shop and they, they weren't perhaps a craft beer drinker and they were just trying to experiment. It's a lot of information that doesn't mean anything without the context. Sure. So the decision to drop it, but to, to, you know, you have to, you can't drop all of it. Three by numbers wouldn't be three by numbers. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be very different. You'd lose something there, wouldn't you? <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> but the two numbers, you know, having the, Having the word, if you look at the cans now, the, mm. the, the second word, so the under the number is still, that's what the number means. So 30 is lager. Mm-hmm. And then the bit underneath rustic or in um, the session IPA's case, uh, mosaic is the recipe. So the numbers have been replaced by a word. And we hope that the word, if nothing else, gives a, you know, a better indication for those that don't know what they might expect from the beer. Okay. Kinder. Okay. <laughs> we're being we're being kinder. Sure. We hope. Right. Okay. So O one then was saison because uh, yeah. as I understand the O one O one was a hoppy citrus saison. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, what? Where do we go from there then? What? What's O two? It's a really good question. To be to be honest with you, <laughs> I think there's I think there's probably three people in the business, maybe even two, that could tell you. Um, Matt, who's our um, ops manager, who can tell you every single number 
He's got an encyclopedia knowledge. I don't know what two is. I, I think I might embarrass myself by <laughs> when when this finishes. I might go, oh for goodness sake, two is that, <laughs> and it might be something really obvious. But um, I know the you know we've as as a numbering system, it started to be like this uh, sort of all encompassing experimental thing where we'd yeah. pick numbers and and we have a, a large amount of numbers for sure. But now we've we've brought it back in and we're like you know what do we enjoy doing and what um, do our customers enjoy drinking and it's probably what was uh, up to 85 as a numbering system has now been drawn into 10 numbers that we um you know effectively know as 10 or 30 or, or whatever so in my mind having not been with the company um as long as they've been around obviously it is just this smaller thing it doesn't mean what it means to tom or to matt yeah so, no i can't tell you what two is <laughs> and um no, that's fine. I, I, yeah, it's. Um... But, I mean, you do try to keep some kind of semblance. So, for example, I, I can see obviously the the IPA that we are on now is an 05. We've got a double IPA later, which is 55. Yep. And a triple IPA, which is 85. Yep. Um, and I was doing a little bit of reading earlier on, and well, it did seem that maybe this is a few years back. Of course, maybe you've done mm -hmm. away with this, but uh, 15 was a black IPA. Yeah. And 25 as a white IPA. So you're trying to sort of keep the IPAs in jumps yeah. of five so that yeah. at least people can also then see that the kind of the, the five series, I guess, is the IPAs. Absolutely. It, it almost feels like a catalogue. It's um, but with with a, a backbone that makes sense. Yeah. So it's, uh, like going to Ar it's like going to Argos, but a lot, a lot better <laughs> yeah. because you come yeah. and not a toaster. <laughs> Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I've never heard it described as that, but I will definitely take that. Back the office. I love that. Um, yeah, absolutely. It, it, it has some, um, it doesn't have some, it is thought about in an intelligent way. Mm. It's mapped out in a way that makes sense. Sure. And yeah, I guess that's, that's one of the reasons why a lot of people want it back. You know, they, they loved that yeah. extra element of something. They're like, okay, I can see where yeah. this, you know, I can see the back, um catalogue and i can see where it's come from and i can see what it sits against mm. and side by side from and um yeah they love that sense that it made but i mean so for example i mean obviously you may not know this if if they've sort of done away with the second uh number now but what i was quite interested to to sort of think that like uh this 05 uh centennial mm. um i don't know what the second set of numbers would be but for the sake of argument let's call it an 05 15 yeah would then a session IPA at 11, if that had centennial, would that be an 1115? Is there yeah. some kind of semblance? No, so so the recipe within a number is, is, is separate. Totally separate. Absolutely. So a mosaic, right. a mosaic in, a, in, a, in a second number means nothing outside of its place in the first. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I can see where the confusion lies now then. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, there, there are... Uh, you know, if you're thinking about the the, the beer insurers that is today with untapped, I mean, these numbers still cause significant confusion. Uh, people are like, okay, I type in 55 to untap something, and then it brings up 50 different beers. And you're like, oh my words, like what the hell am I doing? Mm. And then you just you just click the one that you think is closest, and we're like, oh, we just had a review for a beer that's you know seven years old. Great, yeah, like, they yeah. loved it. So it's standing up, and it's like <laughs> it's a brand new beer. We're like, oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, it's there, but it's fun to watch it sort of go out in the world and have a life of its own. Sure. You know?
yeah, it, it was designed with order in mind, for mm. sure. So yeah, before we go on to the next ones, I wanted to just ask it, because uh, obviously we just talked about the naming system um, of the beers. Yeah. Has there ever been any temptation to to start sort of maybe keep the number, the 05, but start to to add these uh, names that other breweries are coming up with? Yes, is the honest answer. I mean, we did we, we did do um, 42 10th edition. We, there's always the temptation to, to want to do something different. You know, if you've got a very solidified idea about who you are, even then it can be easy to, to want to stray a little bit. And there have, you know, I think there has been times where we've called it something that's on the very edge of that. But we've always reined it in a, a little bit, especially in my time there. We've got, um, you know, got a, a team that thinks about the the idea of brewery numbers and what it means to 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 create something for that brewery, and the strength in it lies in in its simplicity. We love the weird and wonderful names that other breweries come up with for their beers. It gives them, you know, <laughs> it gives them a an infinite palette in which to paint something onto their cans. We work in a more confined space, but I, but I think that's for us, that's stronger for our brand. So yeah. yes, we have definitely played around with it. And I know for, for sure that there have been some thoughts about it, but for the most part, I'd say 99% yeah. um, stick absolutely on this, um, this line. Mm. So people who drink your beers regularly enough to know those numbers and what they mean, they know even without maybe looking, you know, I'm looking at this, uh, the, the, the 05 um, Centennial that we've just uh, drunk. And of course, the 05 is, is massive. And you can see that from, from across the room quite easily. Yeah. Uh, you'd have yeah. to go a little bit closer for the India Pal and the Centennial. But of course, if you've seen the 05 and you're looking for a, an IPA, you know that you're in the right ballpark straight away there. So I guess Absolutely. there is that uh, consistency to that, which, which is uh, a great thing to have. Absolutely, for sure. It's also, I think it's, and I don't know if, you know, if, if you name your beers, you know, beautifully poetic things, whether it, it's not true for that, I think it might be. But as the idea of an 05 catalogue, if someone has followed Ruben Numbers from um, its inception in 2012 till today, and they've tried 05 after 05 after 05, it is almost sort of like a Rolodex or a filing system. They're like, which ones did I love? You know, which ones did I not enjoy? But yeah. that number almost um, anchors everything. So you're like, okay, I'm playing with an 05. I know where the parameters lie. Not, yeah. you know, I'm playing with an IPA and then you don't know. It's sort of, it, for, for my mind, it feels muddied if it has a name as opposed to a numbering system. I obviously work for everyone because of bias <laughs> and I work yeah. with it every single day. But it does feel like it's got a legacy and it's got a future. And at any point that you hit at it, you, you, you're part of that one style's journey. Yeah. No, quite right. And I think, yeah, if, if the, in any reason that uh, you moved away from that, then you'd be losing part of your, as you say, not just um, identity, but legacy as well. And Absolutely. History. Yeah. Um, but I, now, of course, this question uh, is, is a little bit of a moot point, considering that you have done away with the second set of numbers. I just wondered if maybe there was a little way to kind of have that sly little in-joke because of course, you know, there's four numbers, right? Yeah. Four digit numbers and years have four digit numbers. They do. Yeah. There's a, there's a millennium hop, maybe a, <laughs> a style 19. Yeah. Recipe 99. And you can have a millennium hop or 
<laughs> or, or you could have a style 10 and recipe 66 and use hops that are grown near Hastings. <laughs> no, I, I, I think you should be a part of the uh, <laughs> the recipe creation side of things and also you could do some real damage in uh, my marketing side. I think that would be amazing. Yeah, I've never thought of it like that. I don't, that, I think that's the thing. Numbers mean so, such a different thing to everyone. Like yeah. it, it, you can, if I thought about it, you know, every, every day, is it, is it limiting or is it freeing? And I guess yeah. you just brought up something that I'd never thought about before. I think it is a bit of both. It just depends on the yeah. person thinking about it. You, you, you could do play, a lot with numbers. You could play with it, couldn't you? You could have a style 20 um, and then a, a, a recipe 12 as a birthday celebration beer because, of course, you, 2012 was your birthday. Absolutely. Absolutely. Or, or 2021, you know, if you want yeah, to. 20, yeah. I mean, 2021 would have to be a sunny, cheerful beer because... Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, hope so. hopefully there is some, so, yeah. you know, something good for us to cheer coming uh, later this year. So. But uh, yeah, I mean, if, if you had a style twenty recipe twenty, uh, I would hate, I would hate to think of what beer that would be to come away. Pour away, it'd be a drain pour. Yeah, not fit for sale. <laughs> it would just, it would be actually made as oxidized, wouldn't it? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, intentionally <laughs> oxidized beer. So there you go. <laughs> Right, okay, so we're going to have then this uh, 42, uh, yep. DDH Parallel, um, and this one is uh, rather uh, different actually in design on the can, because there's quite a, a lot going on on the can, yes. because as I understand it, this is to celebrate moving to Morden Wharf. Yes. So let's uh, let's talk a little bit about that. For years, Tom, so Tom is the um, founder and he owns the business. In, or at least he's at the head of the business. He owns investors as well. But he, um, he's been looking for years for a space to grow into. And it had to feel right. Obviously, we're at home in Bermondsey. And Bermondsey is a beautiful place to sell your beer and make beer. So we never wanted to leave that. And we don't, we're not going to. So we're, we've been looking for years for the appropriate space with the wow factor. Someone that felt like Ruba Numbers was going to go in there and was going to make some make a bigger part of the business, but it to be to feel right. It, it didn't want to feel forced. There's lots of opportunities to, to go to Hackney and go to these really cool beer centric places, which you know would also have been amazing, but it didn't didn't feel right. And we found this spot on um, on the river in Greenwich, the Greenwich Peninsula, and it's absolutely beautiful and. We fell in love with it and it felt right. So after you know many years of searching, we have found our uh, our next home. Uh, but I'd very much like to say, you know, we're not moving from Bermondsey. There's a uh, that's 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 the the beating heart of uh, you know of the brewery. This is going to be a different thing, a very different animal, very interesting space, and much bigger. Okay, so they'll be, they'll be brewing done on both sides. Yeah, so we are looking to have sort of a tank bar. Um, with a smaller brew kit in Bermondsey to do pilot recipes, anything that we want to um, you know, do that's special or a little bit different that will be served straight from the tank in Bermondsey with a food offering. And then in um, Greenwich Peninsula, so Morden Wharf is going to be the big brewery, you know, where we make the vast majority of our, of our beers with obviously a um, tap room and a first floor Riverside bar as well. It's a great space to grow into. It's very big and, and it's very, you can do a lot with it. It's, it's got a lot of different features. It's got a rooftop terrace. It's got a, 
massive warehouse. It's got yeah. the water next to it. Um, it's industrial, so it still ties in with brewing. We're not going to fill that entire space. It's a whole big process to do so. But yeah, we're looking forward to getting in there and sort of stretching out, <laughs> seeing, yeah. seeing if we can do it this okay. year. Yeah. And when when is the move? So it is looking more and more likely like late summer. I mean, these things are in flux, so it's never easy to move a brewery. It's never easy to move a brewery in London, no. uh, especially crossing rivers or, or busy roads. But yeah, we hope at the end of summer we have the brewery inside and we can do something to, yeah, something exciting to welcome everyone to that space. It, it gives us an opportunity yeah. to grow. Our space in Bermondsey is very, very small. Anyone that's been there is no, you know, knows that on a Saturday when it's not locked down, you can't get in. <laughs> and you've got to or if you do get in you'll be shoulder to shoulder with someone else and you'll be drinking you know that's an alien concept currently but it was a very real concept <laughs> you know two years ago you could barely breathe in there it was uh, it was hard wonderful at the same time you know those drinking experiences um are a beautiful memory for us but we want somewhere that you can come and have a refined you know best drinking experience in london have incredible beer yeah where it's made with incredible views over it's got views over the city of London. It's got views. It's very hard to, to describe those views with, without seeing them. They're beautiful. Sure. It's going to like yeah. blow people away. And we're, we're very excited to build that. Wow. Very, very busy <laughs> to build okay, it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it sounds like it's going to be absolutely fantastic. So can't wait to get down and visit that site, as well as being able to get back, obviously, to, uh, to Bermondsey to, as well. I'm really enjoying this 42. Mm. Um, you, you're talking about the uh, the number 11 being quite dry on the finish. Mm. I'm finding that on this as well. Um, yes. And what hops are we using on this one? It's a very good question. So this changes uh, every so often. This this is like our steady rolling man or our headband or our, um, I guess every brewery or most breweries have a, a sort of signature five and a half percent pale ale. Yeah. That, they never really tell you what's in it because it changes and it's so frequently and it's such a um, an ever present beer in their in their range. This is ours, so I don't know what is in that. No, on and the counter, quite, so, in, still, when it says ingredients, it does say hops. So. Yeah, just so you know that they are in there. Yeah. <laughs> Which, whichever the brewer had to hand that day. That, that's exactly <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah, what's, what's in the uh, what's in the store? Well, no, it's um, it's a it's an, a really enjoyable beer as well as they've all been so far. I was uh, doing a little bit of reading beforehand and I was reading a lot about the brewery's interest in food pairing, but not just as a lot of breweries would do and just sort of make some suggestions on what goes well with the certain beers, but actually trying to to collaborate with restaurants on sort of, yeah. you know, the beer food ventures. I mean, interestingly, we just, so Tom is a big fan of Prairie Barbecue, who operates, I believe, out of... Um, North London so it's like a, a American style barbecue joint and um, with great beer too and he was reminiscing with Michael with the owner or the head of Prairie about incredible nuts they used to pair or drink together back when and we just bought a load of their nuts their beer nuts that they hadn't done for very many years and we're working on something with them now we've just done something with um, Hop Sauce who are an incredible craft beer and hot sauce company so they use hops in their sauce Oh, wow. Um, and we've done um, Wright Brothers Oyster Stout. So we've used their oysters in our beer. It's definitely something Tom, Tom loves fine 
dining, loves um, good food, obviously loves good beer. And the marriage between the two hasn't always, for my money in this country, made sense on a sort of refined scale. Like wine is, I, I have a background in wine too, and not as long as beer, but wine gets its moment in the, in, in the sunshine for incredible pairings in brilliant Michelin star restaurants. And beer doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. Like I would argue vocally that beer is a much broader palette than wine. Maybe not, you know, my wine friends would, would argue against that, but it is for, for me. And we think that it should have that place. Like definitely the restaurants, good restaurants should carry it. And Nanban and Pressure Drop and, um, and that connection was, was a real like sort of litmus test of can it work? And it did work. Um, mm. And they still make Wugang Chops the Tree, which is a brilliant, brilliant beer. Um, I think it's it's something that I'd like to explore more. Obviously, we've got to come out of lockdown. We've got to be able to go to these places. We've got to be able to do something interesting. But it's always it's always something as a business we're thinking about. Hmm. You know, what what's where are we eating, uh, and and what are we drinking at that place? Yeah, absolutely. And I, my wife and I went to uh, Tom Carriage's um, uh, restaurant in London. Um, yeah. it was sort of you know it was one of those kind of celebration things. So. We pushed the boat out and went uh, to Tom Carriage's. And um, yeah, some of the beers they had uh, available, you know, they had uh, Thornbridge Market Porter and, you know, some of those kind of beers that you don't tend to see at yeah. restaurants full stop, let alone restaurants of the quality of uh, of that. So it's amazing that that's starting to grow a lot now. Is it, but isn't that, I mean, I, I 100% agree. I mean, I think Tom Carriage released a series about um, pubs closing down. I think he is... Yeah, to have something to do with brewing, brewing um, in some small capacity. But I think his um, interest in beer is um, is the reason that that's the case. But it seems like such an omission. I go to, not regularly, but I go to nice restaurants every now and again. And you look at the wine list and it's considered and it's exceptional. You look at the soft drink list and it's considered and it's exceptional. And then you look at the beer list and it's four beers. And it's like yeah. the least considered thing of all time. And I'm like, it's not even local. Like you've missed so many tricks, but but how? Like who is who's deciding upon everything else and then going? Oh, can someone just pick the beer list? It doesn't matter who. Like, exactly. <laughs> it doesn't matter and, who picks it. And and the four beers on that list are uh, Beck's, yeah, exactly. uh, foot, you know, yeah. <laughs> London Pride, and then that's, yeah. that's it. Yeah, it, exactly. Utterly it, bizarre uh, and and really really like to the detriment of the experience. I think. Like you, we, we've got such a wealth of brewers in this country. We've got such a wealth of products, you know, in, in any part of the country, you can go to the wilds of Scotland, you can find two brewers, I'm sure, within, you know, 50 miles that will do some decent beer. You can get it anywhere. It's not rarity. We're not, we're not talking about one place. And yet, yeah, odd. It, always, it does always seem to be Bex. It does. Yeah, no, exactly. It does always seem to be Bex. For many guests I've had on this podcast, we've puzzled about, Obviously, craft beer is doing a lot better in the last yeah. several years. However, if you look at beer drinkers across the country and yeah. and the beer that they drink, unfortunately, the macro breweries and the macro beers are still winning by, by quite a way. Absolutely. And you just wonder, I mean, as I say, we, we, we kind of wonder on, on these on when we're having a chat as to what people see in those beers. Um, is it just that it's cheap and easy to come by and yeah, easy to so. just guzzle without giving it any level of thought i think if it was just so that's an interesting question 
I think in this this country, it's a little bit more interesting. Other parts of the world, it's decent and it's cheap. You know, you go to Germany, you get 50 cent lager. Said, so, you know, Augustin Helles from yeah. a from a spate, you're like, oh, it's the highest quality lager and it's cheap. Absolutely. So why on earth would you spend six pounds on a third if you get the best quality for whatever? In this country, it's a little bit different, you know. I think Camden Hells is still a really well-made beer. And I would say that any brewer that argues against that is is fighting against, you know. The, the macro side of things. Yeah, it's not ideal at all. In fact, it's less than ideal. But is the beer good? Yes. And if you take ethics out of it, because most consumers aren't clued up on that. Yeah. If their only experience is that one tastes better than, you know, one two pound beer tastes better than a six pound Pilsner. And they don't, not that they don't care, maybe they don't know why on earth or how on earth are you going to convince them otherwise? Yeah. Very difficult. And equally, I think all of these things are a niche. You know, do most people buy their meat from a butcher's? Probably not. Do they buy the most cost-effective meat from Tesco's? Probably. Like, it, I, I think there's a perception of like, is it good enough for you? Definitely. Is it good enough for them? Probably. And if it's good enough, then why would you want more than that? Mm. There's a very, there's a small percentage that do. I'm definitely one of them. I'd like to pay a little bit more for something that I thought I'd enjoy slightly more. But is that quantifiably better? Um, don't know. I think that's it. It's a, it's a strange way of looking at it. I'm in a, I live in a bubble. I live in a bubble of craft brewers, <laughs> winemakers, and you know butchers, bakers, and they all tell you that it is worth it. And so that you know, yeah. that environment is encouraging for me. If I lived outside of it, would I ever have those experiences? No. Mm. Never be taught otherwise. Sure. No, I see what you're saying, and it's it's very tricky. And um, I think it's it's very hard and perhaps not even worth trying to convert those people um because i think a lot of them a lot of them just uh, are quite sort of set in their way and and will just continue absolutely and and if it's doing if it's doing what they want it to do for them i don't you know i think there's a there's a lot of um sort of like evangelists in the craft beer community that want to convert everyone and it's like yeah <laughs> you know if they don't want to be converted and what they're doing is enjoying something else then they're not doing anyone any harm like sure that <laughs> you know their conglomerate that they're pumping money into might be doing the harm but that person isn't really doing any harm at all no, exactly. and, they're, and they're enjoying something that brings them great pleasure so who are we to say maybe you should do it like this yeah. I, I also, in that same you know, in that same sentence, will say I know a lot of people that told me that they used to drink Carling and Carlsberg, mm. um, and then they had that one sort of epiphany moment where they're like, "Oh yeah. gosh, that has changed my. I can't drink this anymore. I've got to drink that." I had it, yeah. and yeah. and you know, people change at a different rate. Someone might get to eighty, and they might try a craft beer for the first time, um, and they yeah. might it might blow their mind. I quite agree. You know that people do go through that journey, and I think. Um, I'm really happy that a lot of breweries are now churning out, um, a lot of craft breweries are churning out really good lagers now. Because Absolutely. if I can get them to try one of those, at least then we're comparing apples with apples, aren't we? Um, in, in so much of the style, obviously, not, 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 not in terms of the ingredients, obviously, but <laughs> um, in terms of the style, you know. And so, you know, if, if you're trying to convert a lager drinker, a macro lager drinker to craft beer, and you start them off on, a dipper or a sour Never. or a stout, Never. then that, that's that's always going to be a tough ask. But if you're yeah. if you're if you're giving them your your rustic lager or you know Utopians lagers, uh, Donzoko's lagers, if you're giving these these guys these kind of things that they at least understand a little bit about, 
then there's a chance. You've got to frame everything in its context. You know, a lot of people say they don't like beer and what they mean is they don't like bitterness. And mm. I'll always, you know, go from that point. I, I know I speak to a lot of people, they're just like, I've never liked beer, you know, I like cider or I like wine or I like this. I'm like, oh, okay, well, fine. But you, all of those things have a foundation in beer too. But it, 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 I guess it's the preachiness. <laughs> if someone's preaching at you, you're always going to go on the defense and be like, I'm not going to listen to what you're saying. Yeah. But if you give someone, a, you know, a big foam or a utopian, you know, British lager, you say that I would like you to try and I don't mind what you think of it, but I'd like you to drink it. Yeah. They will say it's delicious. There's no, there's no argument. Those beers are absolutely incredible for what, yeah. for what they are brewed in this country. They are a little bit more expensive than, um, in some, in, you know, in some cases, craft lagers are a lot more expensive than you can get in the supermarket. But yeah. I think, for me, I think the experience is is, is significantly better for it. Yeah, no, and, quite, and it does make sense. Yeah, quite right. Uh, right. So I have opened the fifty five double IPA, uh, yes. which is Mosaic and Amarillo. Yeah. Um, and this is uh, I'm finding a lot. Of, you you do make a lot of your uh, your IPAs dry, don't you? Is that an intentional thing? It is an intentional thing. So, I mean, saying that, <laughs> we've just brewed two beers, our, our triple IPA, which uh, I think you have. It's mm. definitely rare. Perhaps not. It's, it's one that you, you would take and you'd enjoy over a, a long period of time. Very, very, very boozy. But it is very sweet. And we've just made a breakfast um, dipper, which is also on the sweeter side. Ordinarily, yes, we... Um, pride over most things balance so if it does start fruity and juicy and sweet um ideally it would finish crisp and dry so that you want to have another one i find for my palate and whatever that means like you know (laughs) my palate's very um, specific to me but if it is overly sweet and it finishes sweet i can have very little of it and because it becomes too much and it's too rich and I have to, you know, either share it or walk away, which is a sad thing. Like, you know, there are the best spirits are balanced. The best whiskeys are balanced. You know, the sweet up front has got a big finish that will take it away from you. Like, I think that beer should be the same. Wine as well. Yeah. It shouldn't be one dimensional. It shouldn't, um, it shouldn't just be one thing. It should be a lot of things. Yes, I love that our beers are dry. And uh, thank you for picking that up because that's brilliant. Yeah. Not, it's not where, you know, not where the industry is at currently. But it, you know, it will probably move toward that in the next year or so, um, in le- at least for balance sake. And I quite agree with you. I'm, I, I like it. Um, I was, uh, yeah, I was picking up on it because it was not what I usually get with a, with a lot of beers, a lot of yeah. certainly of this style. But I do like it. And I quite agree with actually what you were saying about if they're too sweet, it, you do struggle through. Um, and, you know, for example we're on the fourth beer now of this evening um yeah. and i think if they were all sweet i'd be struggling at this point and perhaps would be one beer behind i, I think you know that it's exactly that it's i don't know it for me that this is a hard thing to say everything comes into its extremities before it comes into focus so west coast ipas or, or at least the you know the 2010s to 2015s everyone was trying to make beer as bitter as they can um, and then it just fell off a cliff and everyone brought it right back into a center where everything was balanced again but you have to push it to its extremities before you bring it back in 
And in the same way, you know, look at New England IPAs and they've got sweeter and sweeter and thicker. And, and I'm just like, oh my word, I can't do another one. Like, yeah. I really like them and I'll have a third of it and I'll enjoy it, but I cannot do a glass of it. And it makes me feel like, it also blows my palate for the rest of the night. But that will come back round. Everything, everything goes like that until it's had its time to go to the extremes and then it will come back in. And yeah. I think Americans, Americans have done that, you know, with their sour beers that were too sour and are now beautifully, gently sour, and their West Coast IPAs that have come back round. And, um, Absolutely. We'll, we'll, we'll find it again. We'll find that balance. And I think we, not that we are, you know, doing anything better or, or worse than anyone else. We just always wanted that dry finish mm. because we always wanted to have another sip. Yeah. I think that's what it brings. A lager is crisp and delicious because it finishes dry. Mm. And you're like, oh, like, I want to I want to have another sip immediately. If it finishes sweet, like, oh, I don't know. Like, it's a bit much, a bit rich. Yeah. No, no, absolutely. There's a temptation, I imagine, as a brewer to um, to look at a, a movement and go, where can we take that? Like, where is the extreme? Omnipolo do it very well. And they go, you know, where are we now? And where can we push that envelope like, all the way to its end? And can we still get people to enjoy something? And then you come out with something mad. Are you like, yeah, maybe not. Like, maybe, maybe we and they, and they do push that envelope, don't they? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But but I think you've got to just just to just to see where it goes. And Ameri you know, the American um wild um beers did that to a ridiculous level. Cascade um and a few of their peers really pushed that uh, acidity to vinegar levels, where it was almost unpalatably undrinkable, like you couldn't touch that beer. Um but people were still like, I enjoy this. Whether they did or didn't uh is up for them, but it's now come right back round to a balanced acidity with a balanced finish and a balanced body. And that's how it should always be. I think IPAs, sour beers, dark beers, it, balance is, is, is integral. If you want to look at the kings of that, it's the kernel. No point if they ever made a pastry stout, but they've made some bloody good sweet stouts that finish dry. And at no point are they selling it as a pastry stout, but you would, you'd get that chocolatiness that you were wanting, but you'd always finish a little bit dry. Um, they are the kings of, uh, of balance, in yeah. my opinion. Yeah, no, absolutely. So we've moved on to the final beer, the 85 triple IPA using yeah. mosaic and citra. And this one weighs yes. in at 10%. It does, yes, it does. It's <laughs> um, a margin uh, higher than that. So it's uh, it's all of 10. Oh, wow. Yeah. Mm. It's lovely, though. It was a really good experiment using um, sort of new hopping methods that we'd never used before and we were super interested in using and one of them was sort of experimental enough that we were one of the first breweries in the uk to use it and we yeah we really love the the end result it's very sweet so the hoppiness comes through in a different way obviously our beers ordinarily would be bright and um, not green but um extremely hoppy and uh, and at the finish would be extremely um not extremely bitter but for this beer we'd have some bitterness this is not at all it's like marmalade and almost like barley wine-esque sweetness but that is pure hops um it's incredible like it, every time i drink it, i'm like I, I don't know if i really get it like I, I i like it but it's it's a lot to process just yeah. how those hops have uh, have shown themselves in that beer it's, it's wild no, absolutely that is that is quite different to to, to the last four as you're yeah. saying, it's absolutely. I, we were talking, obviously, about the others being dry on the finish, 
you're quite right. This is this is not. Not not at all. No, <laughs> not not one bit. But still very very lovely. So <laughs> it's an interesting beer. Definitely, as um as I said, uh, one that I will perhaps enjoy throughout the rest of the uh, the afterwards. I recommend after it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think if I neck this one, then yeah. I will struggle to put a <laughs> sentence together, uh, which might not be a good idea. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) when i have a guest on my podcast i ask them to ask a question of the next guest wow okay now basically you're getting the question from two episodes ago the guest on my and my uh, podcast two episodes ago was danny tapper from beak brewery in lewis um and as it turns out he actually had two questions anyway his first question was a bit, a bit serious. <laughs> oh, right. So I think he decided, well, let's ask something a bit more jovial. So here's Danny and here's his question. I've probably got two questions. You can pick whichever you think's right. What, like on a more interesting level, I'd be like, what is your biggest regret? <laughs> <laughs> I think you'll get an interesting answer from that. The more boring one is like what's what is like what's the next big beer trend after the New England IPA? Classic question. The first question is very, very, very <laughs> it's very lethal in a good way. Right. Yeah. All right. Like I think I think uh, you know, regret doesn't have to be a, a negative, does it? It can be a, it can be a positive. Um, my biggest regret, my biggest regret, knowing what I know now in the environment that I work in now is that I did not at one point in my life study to be a brewer. I think the respect that I have for that industry and the, um, the incredible creativity that comes from all parts of the world, and I, and I see it in, in my job, is something that I constantly am jealous of. Like genuinely, I look at something that someone's doing in America, and I'm like, oh God, I would give my, you know, my right hand to be in the wilds of Illinois brewing um, mushroom beer. Like I would love that. Yeah. And then I'm like, maybe I wouldn't. Maybe I'd like to be in New York. Maybe I'd like to be brewing that kind of beer. But it always seems to be beer-centric. So, yeah, to be honest with you, I probably do regret that I didn't, uh, or I haven't, um, probably didn't. <laughs> I'm at that stage of my life where I didn't is the, is, the, uh, is, the, <laughs> is the point. I didn't become a brewer. I think it's such an incredible job. I've got such a lot of respect for the hard work they do. And the end product, yeah, for me, they're rock stars. Like, genuinely, I know that that's a... You know, for, for those listening that aren't so into beer, it's a hard thing to understand. But when I see a brewer that I, I've had their beer and I'm going, oh, my God, that's so good. I look at them like, oh, you nailed it. Like, well done. Like, that's such an incredibly hard thing to do. And you've really taken it to the highest level. So, yes, my regret, <laughs> I'd love to be a brewer. I'm obviously not. <laughs> so all I have to do is drink their beers and talk about them. Um, yeah. <laughs> and the slightly more boring question, but I think the question that I could probably answer more accurately is, um, what do I think the uh, next beer style is going to be? It is going to be lager. There's no question about it. Everyone's been saying this for five years, and for five years they've been wrong, and I'm going to be right, and you can quote me on that, I promise you. <laughs> Don Zoko, Utopian, um, God, everyone, it doesn't mean that, anyone, Braybrook, everyone is throwing some really big hats in the ring, and they're going, this is what a British lager tastes like, you know, yeah. using British ingredients, British malt, whatever. 
and they are making some insane products. It is going to be lager this year. Everyone's going to do one, and everyone's going to die by that sword. If you if you don't nail it, you will you'll be shown up like as a guy that did make the lager. So, okay. lager for sure. Lager. Dark lagers, smoke lagers, but yeah, Vienna, exactly. whatever. Interesting lagers, not just formulaic crap lagers. No, like, interesting oh, nuanced yeah. lagers yeah exactly absolutely. exactly well you know what i that well actually there are two two really good answers that i can uh, associate with because i think i agree with you i if i had this if i had this life again and if yeah. i knew then what i know now i also yeah. would have loved to have become with would have loved to have studied brewing and become a brewer because you're quite right and uh yeah, lager. I, I agree with you. Lager. There's so many more um, craft breweries doing great lagers. So your prediction is that lager is the next big thing, and that's the line in the sand. So, <laughs> <laughs> so all those people that have said it for the last five years and were wrong. Yeah, you were wrong. Mike, up Mike until has now. come in at the right <laughs> time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, okay, so obviously that means, Mike, that I need a question from you for the next guest. All right. In your opinion, what is the best country for beer? Um, but I want to hear like a, a really good reason why. I don't want to hear, you know, I just want to hear like, not that their beer is the best. What is the best country for beer? That can be pubs, that can be brewers, beers, ingredients. What is yeah. the best country in your opinion for beer and, and like a real big why? Why. okay excellent yeah so like a story as to as to how they come definitely to that. like i yeah. want to hear why they're inspired to do what they do currently and that is probably formed off the back of and their the consideration of, the output of beer yeah definitely. yeah definitely right that's a good question i think that's gonna that's gonna elicit a, a very very interesting response i hope so <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh no absolutely brilliant it's been really great chatting with you mike the, the, beers are, the beers have been brilliant. I've still got this much left, but actually, the the, the can is empty. <laughs> it's a half pint glass, so the can is empty. So I, I have had, you know, it's not that I've just had that much. No, uh, no, I, definitely not. I've you, had a decent you, amount. <laughs> you, you've had a good go, and I hope that you'll enjoy it over the rest uh, of the night. And, um, you know and, and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go there. I'm gonna sit in front of the telly and probably not move for about another <laughs> three hours. <laughs> <laughs> literally and enjoy the rest of that because I, I i'm really enjoying that actually that it's really really good but but you're quite right that the others the others are very much you know give me another sip give me another sip straight away okay. that one is more of a kind of a drink over the course of a, of a of an hour or so absolutely absolutely yeah. it, it, it's a sipper yeah absolutely a sipper but all absolutely cracking beers and um, i've enjoyed them all and i've really enjoyed our chat uh, thank you so much for taking the time to to well, come on and have a chat with us. Yeah, I look forward to uh, to to being able to get down in person to uh, to your well, what is now developing into quite a portfolio of, of venues around Southeast London. So you're always welcome. Honestly, I, I would love to have a beer with you uh, in person in the future for sure. Indeed. The Greenwich Place sounds awesome as well. So honestly, we'll 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 I'll, I'll put you on a list when when it's open when we have a party, please come down. I'd love you to uh, love to experience it as uh, as it opens. It's yeah. uh, it's going to be incredible. So yeah, that uh, would be it'd be absolutely absolutely amazing. That that sounds sounds perfect. Well, Mike, thank you so much. Welcome, absolutely welcome. Cheers. Cheers then. Thanks. 
Well, that was an enjoyable conversation there with Mike and the beers were great too. And Mike and the guys at Brew by Numbers, as I mentioned before we chatted, have kindly offered a 15% discount to all Beer Prime listeners. So head over to their website, which is bbno.co, and get 15% off from across the site. So grab a pen or open the notes app on your phone and take down this code. Beer Prime 15. So that's all uppercase, no spaces, and the 15 is in numbers. So head over to their website and get yourself 15% off of their absolutely cracking beers. Okay, let's move on to the usual feature of top 10, which I'm going to kind of do a little bit differently again this week. I know that this is something that I struggle with uh, on a an episode-by-episode basis. Sometimes I have way too much beer to actually be able to condense them down into a, uh, a top 10 chart. Or way too many beers? Is that a thing? I don't know. Not really. So perhaps I'll rephrase it to say that there are way more than 10 beers that I'd like to mention this week. So I'll just do a summary of what I've been drinking. So we'll start with the obvious base, the Brew by Numbers beers that we had this evening. Of those, I would say that the 05 IPA Centennial was my favourite. As we talked about in the podcast, I'm a bit of a fan of Centennial. I do like how it's actually a bit soft and rounded and not so green and in your face as some of the hops can be. Um, Having said that, the Dipper 55 and the 85 Tipper were also awesome beers. Uh, 42 DDH Pale and 11 Session IPA, also great too. But um, if I'm if I'm to be doing a top three, I think of these ones, I would go with uh, the IPA, the Dipper, and the Tipper in that order. Then, of course, in the last episode, I had a American craft beer special, and I've been drinking a lot of of those beers since that episode. Um, I've had the Firestone Walker Nitro Merlin Stout, which was excellent. A couple of Cigar City's Brown Owls with the Maduro and the Cubano style Espresso, both excellent too, and I had another Jayalai. Uh, with Sierra Nevada, I had Hock Bullet and Torpedo IPA. The Hock Bullet was the standout of those two. And for Oscar Blues, I had the Death by Coconut, which was excellent, and a Cannabis Resinous Edition, which also was really good. I had another Brig Mocha Stout, and then one from Stone, which of course were not a brewery featured in the American special. I had their never ending haze. Uh, Of course, I have been having a lot of Northern Monk beers as usual because I am an alumni uh, box member. And I've had, well, one that I actually had uh, from a few months ago that I've been saving, and that's their Heaven Bourbon Barrel Aged Imperial Stout, which was absolute heaven, just a fantastic beer all round. I also had their um, Old Flax Store uh, 028, one of the Russian beers on the last month's box. Uh, the Kvass, um, which is a beer style that I've never had before, but really enjoyed it. I think it's been amped up to an IPA um, hybrid, but it still was an excellent beer. And three Patrons Project beers, starting with their India Pal Lager, brewed with Don Zoko, which was excellent, and two sours, the uh, Purpura Sour, Brewed with track, 
and Mickey Pop, a cherry cola sour. I love Northern Monk and I love their beers. Uh, these two, for me, were not the best, but I do often say that sours are not my main uh, preferred style. And as well as I have had quite a few sours that I've liked, um, I'm, not, I'm not really a Cherry Coke fan in the first place, um, so that one was not really to my tasting. But I'm sure those people who love sours will very much like those beers though. Uh, I've also had a couple more from Arbor, definitely a, a brewery that I've been loving a lot from lately. Uh, Dank Scorpio, but also their geniusly named This Time Next Year Rodney, which is a millionaire, millionaire shortbread stout. Um, that was absolutely excellent too. Then uh, a couple from Thornbridge, both collaborations, one with Beak, which was Bumpy Road, excellent IPA, and, uh, or actually a dipper, I think, and then uh, Thornbridge with New Barns and uh, a Pilsner called Gelfie, which I also very much enjoyed. Um, and then to round off, Burning Sky Pretty Mess and Smash and Hobday, the first variant IPA, Vocations Imperial Frappe, which is as excellent as usual, and a couple from Cloudwater, their sixth birthday dipper called Applies Virtual Background, and the absolutely incredible Imperial Stout, Resistance is Utile. Absolutely fantastic. And a fair chunk of those beers were purchased from Hopstop Beers in Oxted, and I can't wait for them to be able to reopen their Rygate Bar which was uh, a place that I was uh, kind of a regular at and really do miss going in there, sitting down and having uh, a couple of the amazing beers that they always have. So unfortunately, these guys don't have a garden there. So we are going to have to wait until the uh, interiors are opened up again. But definitely, if you're in the Surrey area, then get yourself down to Oxted and buy the beers in their bottle shop. Um, and if you're near to Rygate, then as soon as pubs open for the inside of pubs, then that's a place to go as well. You'll love the beers that they sell in there. So that's all for this episode. Thanks very much for listening. Next episode, I'm excited to tell you that I'm going to be joined uh, by Adrian Tierney-Jones as a special co-host. And myself and Adrian will be welcoming the absolute masters of lager at Utopian Brewery. Now we'll be drinking a few of their beers, talking about everything that they're doing down there and seeing just where they intend to take everything. Are they planning to stick just to lagers or are they going to start brewing other styles as well? We'll have to wait and see in a couple of weeks time, but please join myself and Adrian as we have a chat with, um, with Utopian and of course the Beer News and the Top 10 section will also feature Adrian. So we'll have a chat about what news Adrian's uh, seen over the course of the recent weeks and what beers he has been partaking of as well. So don't forget to follow me on my socials. I'm at Beer Prime UK on both Twitter and Instagram. And please subscribe on the podcast platform that you're listening to. That way you'll get a reminder when the next episode launches. If you do have the opportunity to leave me some feedback and a rating, I would appreciate that too. Thanks very much for listening and hope you can join me again in a couple of weeks.